Well, good evening, church. So Matt shared with you some thoughts about the first line of the Lord's Prayer when Jesus said, Our Father who is in heaven, which declares a beautiful relationship that we're able to share with God, one that we should not take lightly. In fact, um, when the Spirit is present in his or her believers, he says it gives us the ability to say to God, Abba, Father, the very first line out of a baby's mouth to say to dad, recognizing dad, Abba, Father. And so that's a great line to understand our relationship to God, that we are his children and we shouldn't uh, take that for granted. What a privilege. The second line of that uh, Lord's Prayer, our Father right in heaven, do you know it? Come on. Hallowed be thy name. Now, how many times have you used the word hallowed in the last week? Last month. You uh, describe your new car as hallowed. Maybe your house is hallowed. Um, I think probably one of the few times I've heard is in the, that, that movie, um, Remember the Titans, you know, and they take that jog, which is kind of funny. They go out in the morning, they take this jog to, I believe they go to Gettysburg, where the Battle of Gettysburg was fought, and uh, the coach there has this really beautiful scene set up, and he calls it hallowed ground. You know, this is where you stand is hallowed ground. And what does he mean by that? What, what do we mean? What does the word hallowed mean? Sacred, right? Set apart. When Jesus said, hallowed be your name, that's how you should pray to God in recognition of where you stand in relation to him. You should declare that his name out of all names that you could utter from your mouth, his should be hallowed means to be set apart as sacred or holy, that there actually isn't a name like his. In fact, his name is different than any other name that you could ever say, um, but his name should be the one that you and I keep distinct as holy, as one to be revered. Or you might say, he should be the one that we hold as one to be worshipped. Worship. What Jesus is instructing us to do is to be people who worship God. Now, with that thought at the forefront of our minds, it might seem to us that the mission of Christianity is to go out to a group of people that don't yet worship and convince them to come join us to worship God. As if there are maybe two groups of people in the world, a group of people who worship God and then a whole host of people that don't worship. But that's not actually accurate, the way that we see it portrayed in Scripture. The way that Scripture reveals to us about the differences amongst people is not, the question is not, do you worship? But the question is, who do you worship? In fact, the Bible presents that everybody worships, regardless of whether you believe in Jehovah, whether you believe in Jesus, whether you believe in Christianity at all, everybody worships. Even if you say you're not religious, everybody worships. You see, when Paul was, you might say, giving us probably one of the most in-depth looks at the problem of sin in Romans chapter 1, he came down to the end when he was beginning, I believe it's about verse, um, uh, let me look down there, I think it's verse yeah, 20, 24, 25. When he's coming to the conclusion of what happened with mankind when they began to sin and what, what really is the problem with us, he says in verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts, meaning what they desired in their hearts, God gave them up to that. 
to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged what is true about God for a lie. And when people exchange what is objectively true about God and accept what is not true, which is a lie, here's what happens. He says they served or worshipped the creature and not the creator. You see, the subtle shift that happens when sin enters not just the cosmos, the world, but our world, my world, is I don't just stop worshiping. I transfer worship. I take what I was always supposed to do to give to God, which is to set something apart as being above all else, to set something in my life as being different than everything else, to adore something as more important than anything else, to hold something in highest priority that then sets the priorities of the rest of my life. I was always intended to do that. And when I accept a lie and not what is true about God, I will take that natural inclination to worship God and I will transfer it to something else. No one said this better than um, David Foster Wallace in a, in a contemporary terms. For those of you, um, he was a... Um, uh, a postmodern American author, um, took his own life in 2008. He was delivering the commencement speech at Kenyon College. Um, and now he was a professed atheist, didn't believe in Christianity, didn't believe in God. Um, but he gave what I would say is one of the best explanations of what I'm trying to say with regards to the fact that everybody worships. In his speech, uh, the commencement address at Kenyon College here in Ohio, he said this, he said, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. He said, worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before, you finally, before your loved ones finally plant you in the ground. He said, worship power, and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you'll need ever more power over others to numb your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they are evil or sinful. Remember, he was an atheist. He said, not that they're evil or sinful. He says that they're unconscious. They are the default setting of humanity. You see what he was saying? An atheist there, unbelieving in any sort of God, is saying everybody worships something. But what you worship, you'll end up serving. Remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, led and shown all the kingdoms of the world? There was a condition for him to have that. He was offered all those kingdoms by Satan. He said, you can have that. But what did Satan tell him to do? Fall down and what? Worship me. Worship. You see, worship, you serve what you worship and you worship what you serve. And so the, what I want us to get across tonight, number one, is this. Everybody worships. You might worship your job. 
You might worship your family. You might worship your spouse. You might worship your money. You might worship, worship your position in society. Or you might actually worship God. What you were always designed to do. When Jesus said, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's repeating the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Meaning you'll always have a God if you don't have me. You'll always have one. Well, how are we going to worship, right? What what do we got to do to get worship realigned in our hearts? How can we reposition ourselves, not just to being religiously, morally active people, but how do we be people who have a heart attuned to worshiping God? I believe it's probably easiest seen in the story of John chapter 9, the blind man that was healed. You know, he was poor, blind man, um, kind of a disrespected uh, human in that society. Jesus passes by and there's a lot of confusion amongst his disciples about why he's blind. And the man asks to be healed and Jesus heals him of his blindness, causes kind of a stir because the, then the Pharisees are upset about it. They even call in his own parents and say, prove that this is your son. They say it is, but we don't know who healed him. They're afraid of getting kicked out of the social club, the synagogue. And they call him back finally. And they say, tell us who did it. And he said, I've already told you. Do you want to also follow him too, Jesus? And it comes down to the end where he will not let go of the fact that Jesus healed him of his blindness and that he's not a sinner. And they kick him out of the synagogue. And Jesus finds him when it says in John chapter 9, starting about verse 33 or so, they kick him out of the synagogue. Jesus finds him. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, well, tell me who he is so I can believe. He says, I who's speaking to you am he. I am him. And here's the key in John 9. It says, the man believed and he worshiped. What got us into the mess of not worshiping God? It says that we stopped believing what was true about God and believed a lie. That's what got us in the mess. So what's going to get us out of the mess that we're in of worshiping things other than God? Because you probably do and I do. Believing what is true about God. That he is sovereign. That he is good. That he's kind. That he's just. That he's holy, full of mercy, gracious, and desires to have a relationship with you. Amongst the many other things, what's true about God. And the more you understand what is true about God and choose to believe that, in the process of believing what is true about God, worship will follow that. Worship will follow. So we want you all to be people, and we want to join with you as people who worship God. People who are participating in worship of the one true God and not worshiping false gods. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament, Exodus 32, when Moses went up on the mountain. Remember that story? They had just come out from Egypt. Um, and Moses goes up on the mountain to get the law, to consecrate the, the covenant with uh, God to Israel so that they would be his people. And the, by the time that he's gone, they begin saying, you know, we need a God. And they get all their gold and it goes into a pot. And according to Aaron, it just comes out as a calf. I don't know how that happened, right? And they ascribe to that calf deliverance from Egypt and leadership. But if you look in Exodus 32, verse 7, it says when they worshiped that calf, they had to cease from worshiping that calf because it was taking life from them. And it says they rose up to play and to go eat. 
meaning they needed a break from worshiping their God. Every other God in this world that you worship except Jehovah will not give you life. It will take your life. If you worship your career, eventually it'll kill you. If you worship your money, eventually it'll kill you. If you worship you know, your family, your status, it will take your life from you. Worship God, it'll give you life. It will give you life. And if you don't have that life, we're available to help you. You can come as we stand and sing. Let's sing.